forward to that. All right, Acts chapter 20. Let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We ask, Lord, that right now as we go to your word, that truly your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And as we look at the heart of a pastor, Lord, I know that it has application for every one of us here. As we see the Apostle Paul as his days are drawing to an end and he's speaking into the lives of of people and also the Ephesian elders, Lord, we know that there's great application for us today. So Lord, bless this time together. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... So in the way of context, when we take a text out of context, so I get left to con, as we get to chapter 20, we know that the first half of the book of Acts focuses largely on the Apostle Peter, and the second half, the Apostle Paul. When we first saw Paul come onto the scene, he was a zealous Jew who was out to kill Christians. He was, trying, he was arch enemy number one of the Christian church. And so he was zealous, but zealous for a lie. He was zealous because he had rejected Jesus. He believed the Old Testament, but he didn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah who had come, and he had marching orders to go out and have Christians arrested. As a matter of fact, he was holding the coats while they stoned Stephen to death. So Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus on his way to track down some more Christians and bring them back to justice, and along the way, he had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. He got knocked off his high horse, literally. And as he was on the ground, he said, who are you, Lord? The Lord revealed himself to him. He went away and studied for three years the truth. And then he became the apostle Paul, who was used mightily by God to plant many of the churches in the first century. He was also one of the most persecuted men in the Bible. And he is the original Jesus freak. Can I get an amen? Because, you know, he was a fanatic. And what is a fanatic? Because he won't change his mind, or you can't change his mind, and he won't change the subject. And everywhere that brother went, there was a revival or a riot or both. Amen? The Apostle Paul was about it for the kingdom of God. Now, as we get to chapter 20, he's coming toward the end of his life, at the end of his third missionary journey. And he has just finished up in Ephesus, where he had planted a church and he had been there for three years. The chapter ended, if, if you are a Bible student, was when they were... They have the prophet, uh, the goddess Diana, and they had this huge temple to Diana, and they made these little Diana statues. And when he preached the gospel, many people took all their, you know, their Diana paraphernalia, and they set them all on fire. And they were burning up all the stuff to the false idols and starting to worship the true and living God. But then all the guys who made the idols for a living got upset, and they gathered the people together, and they started shouting for hours, great is the goddess Diana, great is the goddess Diana. And most of them didn't even know what they were protesting, kind of like a lot of people today who just like to protest because it's something to do. But here's the reality. So as that protest ended, Paul is now leaving Ephesus, and he's headed to Jerusalem. There's a great famine in the land, and he, as he was going and visiting churches he had planted, he was gathering together gifts to bring back from each of those churches, as we'll see in this morning's text, most of them, they would send a person with him as well. And they were headed to Jerusalem. And as they're headed there to bless the church in Jerusalem that was being fed to lions and facing great opposition and going through famine. And along the way, we're going to see him visiting some of the churches he had planted. And then we're going to see the first pastor's conference in the history of the world that took place When he brought the Ephesian elders together, and Paul, knowing that the end of his life was near, speaks into their lives. So if you have your outline, grab it. 
Title the message, The Pastor's Heart. He set his eyes like flint toward Jerusalem. He's on his way. And I tell the message, The Pastor's Heart, Lessons Learned from the Life of the Apostle Paul. First of all, he has a concerned heart. A pastor who's truly called by God will focus on strengthening and encouraging the saints and ministering as well to the physical needs of the church. Then we're going to see a compassionate heart, preaching to the masses and caring for the individual. Anybody who's truly called won't just be a pastor to the crowd or just a pastor to the individual. He'll be a pastor to both. When I was a pastor in San Jose, our pastor taught us on the fourfold ministry of Jesus, the three, the 12, the 70, and the crowd. You know, to the crowd, he would speak in parables, but he ministered to them. To the 70 disciples, he spoke in a more, in a more uh, you know, specific way, but then he had the 12 apostles, and within them, he had Peter, James, and John who he took with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd take him with him to the Garden of Gethsemane when he went away to pray. He was pouring his life into them. And so someone who's truly called by the Lord to pastor should be somebody who is just as passionate about ministering to one-on-one people, to being available to minister to every individual as he, as he is to minister to a large crowd. So a compassionate heart, preaching to the masses and caring for the individual. A Christ-centered heart. You know, and no one who, if you do not have intimate time with the Lord yourself, you will not be equipped to minister to others about the Lord. Amen? And that is true of every one of us. If you don't spend intimate time with the Lord, if you don't receive from Him, you won't be able to minister to others about Him. So you cannot give away what you have not received. And then I'm going to, we'll see a pastor's heart. And again, remind, remind, just remind, be reminded, I'm going to be sharing this at a pastor's conference, uh, ministering to the Lord, we minister for the Lord. A pastor's heart, a heart to disciple others. Uh, anybody who's really called to be in ministry should be given ministry away. By the way, are we blessed with some, some very gifted assistant pastors? Can I get an amen? amen. Praise God. And guess what? We're going to keep giving more ministry away. And if you're here, and you have a gift, and if you're here and you're saved, you have a gift, amen? We want to see you use it, and we want to help you use it, but we will not drag you to use it, because if I call you, I have to sustain you, and I don't have time. Can I get an amen? I don't have time to call you up and make sure you're showing up, amen? When someone's called, it's a get-to, it's not a have-to, amen? I want to encourage you that we want, you know, I remember the first time I had Doug teach on a Thursday and the first time I had Joshua teach on a Thursday and, and watching just how God's developed them. And we're gonna, we have some more people that are, God's going to continue to develop and they're being used for the Lord. Amen? And so we need to be given ministry away. Any church where one person's doing everything is, oh, but that's on the way to being a cult. Can I get an amen? A heart to lead by example. Not just do what I say, but do what I do. It's one, you can't be the one person in the pulpit and another person at home and somebody who's aloof and una, you know, unapproachable. It's not, it's not a Christ-like response. A heart, a humble heart. You know, the motive for serving the Lord is, again, a motive for ministry is to serve the Lord and the motive, uh, the manner of ministry is serving in humility. You know, we're all just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. No one has arrived we all have some growing to do spiritually. Can I get an amen to that? And so there needs to be humility 
and brokenness in the heart of a pastor, a heart for the lost. You know, every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Does it not bother you that people are dying and going to hell without Jesus? While we're standing here today, hundreds will go into a dark, deep eternity separated from Almighty God where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen. Encourage you with that. Uh, a heart led by the Holy Spirit. Without him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I was blessed this morning. My son-in-law, Kevin, just had surgery and he's laid up. And he had his very young youth pastor teach for the first time. And I love to watch that. I was watching it as I was coming in this morning. I think he's, I don't know, 19, 20 years old, teaching in front of the whole church for the first time. And he got up and confessed how scared to death he was. And then I listened to his message. He did a fantastic job. I texted him, bro, you did an awesome job. God bless you, man. You know what? But you know what? I love that here's a young man who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, in, in our weakness, he is made strong. And the greatest ability we have is availability. Amen? Amen? Here I am, Lord, send me. Sometimes we sit back and wonder, why are those people being used and I'm not? Well, they've stepped out. Maybe you haven't. Let me encourage you to do that. A heart focused on eternity. You know, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And by the way, we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Can I get an amen? <laughs> the amount of time we spend in eternity, this is a vapor of time in comparison. And, and you know, if it was this much time, for me now, it's, it's getting about like that, about to turn 60 here. So, you know, life is but a vapor, but eternity is forever. And guys, eternity, I can't wait. Heaven's better, amen? And we need to have an eternal focus. A heart for God's word. No one should stand behind a pulpit who doesn't love the Bible, who isn't willing to teach the whole counsel of God, who will not do it with passion and won't do it having been prepared by spending time studying to show themselves approved, a workman need not being ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Can I get an amen to that? We need more people. We need women who are prepared to teach the women and the children. We need more godly men who will step up and be prepared. And for a heart of a pastor, you know, again, my buddy said, I stopped going to his church because if he won't bother studying, I'm not going to bother listening. Amen? And it's painful when people are unprepared. Don't apologize for the Bible. Lord, help us. Amen? We don't need to apologize for the word. We don't need to water down the word. We don't need to skip over stuff because might, people might get offended. If the Bible offends you, you need to be offended. Amen? Amen? If your toes get stepped on, your feet in the wrong place. <laughs> Amen? Amen? You need to have a shepherd's heart, a heart for God's people. Someone who's truly called to be a pastor loves people. And, 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 lo and by the way, the, sh the sheep are not his sheep. They're always God's sheep. But a shepherd cares for God's sheep, and he loves God's sheep, and he will die for God's sheep, and he will lay down his life for God's sheep, and he's never too busy for God's sheep. Can I get an amen to that? So these are the things that we will see in, in, in the heart of a pastor. Let's begin there looking at a concerned heart. So the, the writing has just ended in Ephesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. It says his eyes are set like flint to go there. He's gathered together this offering to bring to these hungry uh, Jewish believers. It was also something God was going to use to, to unite the Gentile believers with the Jewish believers. There shouldn't have been division, but there was. And he was bringing this to show them how much that they were loved and to show them they were all one people. It says in verse one, after the uproar, 
had ceased. Okay, again, great is the goddess Diana. Great is the goddess. They're just screaming. Great is the goddess Diana. You can scream something all you want, and it doesn't make it true. Can I get an amen to that? You can scream it all you want. It doesn't make it true. God's word is true. It's proven archaeologically, historically, scientifically, prophetically. We can go down the list. The words of man, they, they can have their opinion. God, I'm going to be real transparent with you. God really doesn't care what you think. Amen? Amen. But I think, but I believe, but I, okay. And I don't believe in gravity. I step off a 100-story building and I splatter on the sidewalk. Can I get amen? The fact that you don't believe something doesn't make it not true. And, and you know what? When you study the word of God, the word of God is true. Amen? So this uproar took place, and after it had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself and embraced them. Give me some, Paul. Paul was hugging people. Can I get amen to that? You know, people say, when I teach, I move my hands a lot. Well, there's a verse in the Bible that said, Paul teaching them, motioning with his hands, and now we see that Paul hugs people. No wonder I love this brother. Can I get an amen? <laughs> he uses his hands, and he hugs people. But again, I always say this, if Jesus was here, would he hug you? Amen? When you go to a family reunion, do you hug each other? This is a family reunion, amen? And whether, I don't know what you think about me, whatever that is, but just know that I love you, and I love you unconditionally, and I'm really glad that you are here. Agape love that comes through discipleship and ministering together. It wasn't easy for him to leave. See, he's leaving a church that he had pastored for three years. And he'd seen all that God was doing, and he was saying goodbye to them, and his heart broke. And you know, sometimes when you're called into ministry, sometimes God will move you. And when God moves you, it doesn't mean it's easy. I was a youth pastor in Lancaster for 10 years, and I did the men's ministry. I was really plugged into that church and saw it grow from 12 people to about 1,000, and it was our church family. When I left there, it was heartbreaking to go to San Jose. I was in San Jose for five years. And when I left there, as a youth pastor, men's ministry pastor there, it was heartbreaking. And then I went to Santa Cruz where I thought I'd be the rest of my life. I was there for 10 years. And leaving there was really heartbreaking. And if I ever had to leave here, it would be heartbreaking. But I want you to know, I have no plans to ever do that. You're probably stuck with me, but God can do with me whatever he wants. Amen? <laughs> so God's will be done. He can do whatever he wants. Amen? But he embraced them and he didn't leave. I want you to know, he did not leave because of the uproar. He did not leave because of the opposition. Don't we know Paul better than that? Yeah. Paul had been stoned and beaten and, you know, uh, starvation and shipwrecked and bitten by a snake. And I mean, that, guy, that brother had been through everything and none of it slowed him down. So he wasn't moving because there was opposition. He was moving because he was led by the Holy Spirit. By the way, that should be an example for every one of us. Who, who here thinks it's too expensive to live in California? If your hand's not up, I, where, where's your money? Can I get an amen? <laughs> How much money you got? But, but the reality is, we live in one of the most expensive places in the world to live. Somebody sent me a picture of a house in Beaumont, Texas, where my parents grew up. It was 6,000 square feet. It had four bedrooms and seven bathrooms. It had a a mini golf course on the property and a swimming pool it looked like it came out of a hotel and it was $600,000. And I'm like, it's in Beaumont, Texas. But I was like, but the point I'm making is if you are moved by your circumstances, that looks pretty good. I think I'll move there, right? I can pay cash for that with the equity in my house, right? A mentality that we can have. But here's the thing, guys. We don't want to be moved by our circumstances. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
Because if God has you here and God is using you here and God has a plan for your life here, the last thing you want to do is allow uh, the circumstance. We need Christians in California. We need people who love the Lord to stay and pray, not just run away. Can I get an amen? But see, he has a heart for the other churches that he's pastored. And we're going to see him as he's headed to Jerusalem. There's going to be some opportunities to minister to people. And he cares about the people in Jerusalem. So he embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. Verse 2. Now, when he had gone over the region, he encouraged them with many words. He came to Greece. So a concerned pastor's heart caused Paul to go back and encourage and strengthen his brothers in, a pla- in, the, in places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and others. So he had his heart set like Flint to go to Jerusalem, but he was never too busy to stop and minister to people along the way. And that should be true for all of us. Sometimes we're so focused on what we're headed to do that we walk right by all the divine appointments that God brings into our path. We must never be too busy or too insensitive to miss out on opportunities to minister to people. So he stopped along the way and he gave encouraging words to these churches and these pastors who were going through great struggles at that time. Verse 3, and he stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. So he spent three months in, in that area of Greece, Corinth, the church in Corinth is there. And during those three months, it's where he actually wrote First and Second Corinthians. So that brother never stopped. Can I get an amen? So he's on his way. He stops to encourage people. And while he is there, God uses him to write a letter. He's actually in Greece to the church in Corinth. And where he is, is very much like Corinth. And he writes the letter while he's there. So the Romans were depraved and sinful nature of man. Corinth was a sinful city. And again, then it says the the Jews plotted against him. Once again, Paul had to change his plans because the Jewish plot to kill him at sea. Here's here's what they were plotting. Here's what we would think. They were supposed to get on a boat. And some of these people had heard the word they were going to get on the boat. So they were going to get on the boat with Paul. And then once they got out into the Mediterranean Sea, they're just going to throw him off the side. Now, he'd already been thrown off the side before. (laughs) He, He had already been shipwrecked before. He had done all of those things before, but the, at, that, at the same time, nor the Lord you know, stirs his heart. He decides not to get on the boat. Instead, so instead of sailing from Corinth, uh, he traveled by land through Acacia, Achaia, and Macedonia, and sailing from Philippi to Troas, where his team agreed to rendezvous. And again, there was persecution. So I want you to notice something. He's faithfully serving God and he faces persecution. I want us all to know that that's what happens. When you faithfully serve the Lord, you can absolutely be positive that you will face opposition. Amen? Sometimes you face opposition from people you would expect, the world, and it's worse when you face opposition from people you don't expect, people that call themselves Christians. But they both happen. But see, when you're doing it for the Lord... It doesn't matter what the world has to say. When you're doing it for the Lord, it doesn't even matter when other Christians may attack you for being faithful to do what God has called you to do. Paul called, had the heart of a pastor, was concerned for his people. He didn't cry or quit or complain, but pressed on to do God's will and to minister to his people. And again, 
Everybody in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. You can't find an example of somebody used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. They all suffered greatly. So we should not be surprised that when we're used for the Lord, that there will be times when we will suffer. Look what it says in verse 4. And so Batur of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus, Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. So many of them got on the ship. He didn't get on it. He walked instead. And then he met them where they were supposed to meet. So he was not doing this necessarily that he was afraid as much as the Lord was leading him to avoid, again, the persecution that was coming. Again, he's not a a man who operated in fear. And those men who were with him were likely helping to carry the money and also to you know, be there with Paul as he traveled on this journey. So the purpose of safety and accountability, that they journeyed together, and the same is true of fellowship today. You know, we need to walk with other believers. Amen? We need other people to hold us accountable and to love us and to encourage us. Verse 6. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we, stri- where we stayed seven days. The we there, that is Luke. He's the one who wrote the book of Acts, and he's talking about the fact that they came and joined Paul later. Paul and Luke sailed from Philippi to Troas to rendezvous with their entourage, and they were sailing against when it should have been a two-day trip. It took five days. In our walk with God, we face smooth sailing and rough seas, and in rough water, it doesn't mean you're out of God's will. So here he is. They expected it would only take a couple days. It took a lot longer than they anticipated. The same can be true in our lives. We can get impatient with God. We want God to do something, and we give God a timetable. You know what? We pray in our time, God answers in his time, and his time is perfect. Can I get an amen to that? So wait upon the Lord. God is faithful, and he wanted to be there for the days of unleavened bread or the time of Passover. So Paul's life is constantly facing trials and difficulty, but notice he had a concerned heart. He, as he went along, he was ministering and encouraging to the saints and ministering to the physical needs of the church. Point number two, he had a compassionate heart. Now watch this. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. This is the first time we see in the New Testament that they're meeting on Sunday. Why are they meeting on Sunday and not on Saturday, which is the Sabbath? Why Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead. Something else happened on a Sunday. Giving of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, they met on Sunday. Now, the Bible tells us, let each one be convinced in his own mind. Let everyone, that we, you know, we, we don't pick one day over another. The only time it's an issue is if you say, well, if you don't worship on this day, you're outside of God's will. So we're all called to worship, and we can worship any day of the week, but the early church worshiped on Sunday, and the reason they worshiped on Sunday, it was a remembrance of the resurrection of our Savior. Here's something interesting. Almost all of them worked on Sunday. See, Saturday was still the Sabbath. It was still the day when people got the day off. So what they would typically do is they would go to work, and then after work, they would gather together to worship and for the Word. And so that's exactly what's taking place here. Notice they came together to break bread. Breaking bread there speaks both of communion and agape feast. See, agape feast is something we get from the Bible. When the Christians would gather together, they would observe communion, remembering the cross of Calvary, the bread and the, and the juice, right, or the wine, the grape juice. And they would remember 
doing that in remembrance of what Jesus had done on the cross, so they would never lose sight of that. But they would also have a meal together, and they referred to it as an agape feast. It said, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, you thought I taught for a long time. So Paul's coming through a town. Now imagine this. Paul's coming through the town, and he's seeing people, many of which he had not seen in years. In those areas were churches that he had planted. And as he comes through, the word may have been out. This might be the last time we ever see Paul. We know that Paul goes to Jerusalem. We know that he faces great, you know, eventually he's going to be beheaded. But as Paul is heading through, he's their pastor, and he's the one that God had used to plant the church. And so when they gathered together, nobody was complaining that he taught till midnight. They were so excited and hungry for the word of God. Now, I have found this to be true everywhere but in our country, for the most part. Uh, Like in India, when I go to India, there are people that will walk for three hours to get to church. They walk for three hours. Some of them barefooted because they don't have shoes. So when they get to church, if you give them an hour message, they're mad. You know what I mean? Because they got to walk three hours back. And so every church that I minister to in India, they would say to me, okay, we want you to teach for at least two hours. Okay. And then I would teach for two hours. Then we would eat and they go, two more. And then I teach for two more and I'm, I'm saying, amen. Oh, teach another chapter. Teach another chapter. And they're sitting on the ground. And what they had for lunch was a bowl of rice. And we're worried right now, is he going to speak so long I'm going to miss brunch? Can I get an amen? (laughs) But there are people that that recognize that the word of God is a blessing, amen? And they're hungry for it. I had a lady that used to go to our church here, and I ran into her, and she goes, I can't take it, you teach for an hour. And she's on her way to go see Lord of the Rings for three and a half hours. (laughs) Where your treasures there, your heart will be also. Can I get an amen to that? By the way, the pastor might be boring, but the Bible never is. Word of God rocks, amen? So he taught until midnight. Now, let me give you the picture. We're going to see they're in an upper room. They're upstairs, and, and uh, there's no electricity. Can I get an amen? So they got a bunch of lanterns in there and lights and lamps. And what does that give off? And what else? Carbon, carbon monoxide, <laughs> right? Right? So here's what happens. You're up in this upper room and, and you know, it's filled with lanterns and lamps and you've been in there for hours and hours and, and there's carbon monoxide and, and uh, I've seen people sleep without carbon monoxide when I'm teaching many times. <laughs> and look, if you fall asleep once in a while, that's okay. If you're sleeping every service, we got a problem. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Just quickly. <laughs> In San Jose, the church had a uh, sanctuary that seated thousands. I mean, huge. And I would teach for the pastor whenever he was gone. And there was a guy that would sit in the front row, right where Brett's sitting, right there. He had suspenders on. He would never sit anywhere else. He'd sit right there. He was my, we, he was my humility pill for every message. Because I'd get in a minute into the message, and he would be snoring, so you could hear him in the back of the room. <laughs> he would fold his hands. <laughs> the whole message. Every time. And I would say to him, hey, bro, we got other, no, that's my seat. I've been sitting in that seat since, you know, World War II or whatever, right? And that's my seat. And God would just put him there to remind me, hey, people fall asleep when you teach sometimes. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so they began to meet on the first day of the week. 
The early church, again, would meet many times. It would break bread in remembrance of who Jesus is. They met on the Lord's Day, and again, it was uh, the emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God. Notice the first century church taught the Word of God. We don't see, you know, anything else. It's not, they're, not having a, they're not having a carnival. Amen? They're teaching the Bible. They're opening up and teaching the Word of God. The Word of God is essential to the growth of every believer, and teaching and preaching of God's Word must be emphasized in the local church. It says, there were many lamps in the upper room where they gathered together, and the wind, at the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Now, we want to give this guy a hard time, but he's trying. And how do we know he's trying? He's over by a window. He probably worked hard all day. And now he's come and he probably wants to stay awake so he can you know, enjoy the teaching and hear from the Apostle Paul. And he's sitting by a window just trying to get some fresh air because of all the carbon monoxide that's in the room. Watch what happens. Was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up. What does it say? So there's your lesson. Fall asleep in church, you might die. <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding. Now, his name means fortunate. And he is fortunate because, guys, here's the good news. When we, go into the, when we fall into our deepest trials, God's still in control. Amen? And I want you to see Paul's heart here. Because some pastors today are so arrogant and filled with themselves, they'd say, see what happened? He fell asleep while I was teaching and he's dead. Let that be a lesson. To all. No, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't ridicule the person for you know, falling asleep. How many of you guys have nodded off in church before? Besides me, my hand's up. I've even seen the tricks. You know, do this where you look at your Bible like this. <laughs> Amen. I'm praying. I'm in a prayerful state right now. And it happens on, you know, on Thursday night, and people will apologize to me and say, I fell asleep today. I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, I didn't even notice. You just outed yourself. Amen. <laughs> so he falls, and he's taken up dead. Now, what does Paul do? He doesn't ridicule him. Paul is a compassionate man. Look what it says in verse 10. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him and said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. See, Paul stopped the message to go down and minister to the individual. Because a true pastor's heart recognizes that every person is important and significant. Amen? And he's never too busy for that one person. And he stops what he's doing, and he goes down, and he embraces him. Not only to preach the masses, but also to embrace the individual. And again, Paul didn't expect everybody who came to be perfect. And again, like I said, this guy really has some legitimate reasons more than likely after our long day of work. Verse 12, now when we had come up and had broken bread and eaten, they talked for a little while until daybreak. And he departed. I'll be honest with you. I would love to be in a place where the word of God is being studied and we're ministering one to another till we don't want to leave and we just want to stay there all night. Can I get an amen to that? And you know what happens sometimes? You'll be at a men's retreat, and the guys will be up half the night just talking. I think it's good for us to have times where we can just have unhurried time with the Lord. Amen? While I'm speaking at this pastor's conference, there's about 12 speakers. I'm, I'm looking forward to just sitting in the front row and studying God's Word and hanging out with a bunch of pastors. I love that kind of stuff. And guys, we all need fellowship. Amen? 
So he taught till the next morning. And they brought up the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Can you imagine? You fall out the window, you know he's dead. There's got to be people there that love him and know him. They're panicking, their hearts are broken. And then you bring him walking back up. And you know what? Was God glorified, do you think? See, it's the preaching of the word of God and then seeing the word of God in action. Amen? That we know our God is a God who not only can raise us from the dead physically, but even more importantly, he raises people from the dead spiritually. So point number one, pastor's heart, a concerned heart to encourage and strengthen saints, care for needy believers, a compassionate heart, preaching to the masses, but caring for the individual. Now it's going to start to pick up here as we come to a Christ-centered heart. Look at verse 13. Then he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos. Then we went. This is, Paul, the, uh, this is uh, Luke speaking. They're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. Here's what happens. He preaches all night. He gets up in the morning. Everybody's getting on the ship, and he decides he's going to walk. It's 25 miles. He thinks he's Brandon. <laughs> he walks all the time. But here he is, goes on hikes. So here he is walking. Now, why do you think after preaching all night, could have got on a ship and laid down and went to sleep, why would he walk for 25 miles where he's headed to his next generation? Anybody have any idea? Why do you think? To pray, to spend time alone with the Lord. Can I get an amen? See, there's not a doubt in my mind that Paul had been spending all this time giving it out and ministering to others, but now he needed time where he was just alone with the Lord. And you know what? One of my, I, like, I love to walk, and one of my favorite things to do is I'll bring headphones, and I'll just listen to messages, or I'll just walk and pray. And I, I love that. We need that time where we're undistracted by everything else, and we're just hanging out with Jesus. Can I get an amen? And see, Paul, for the reason Paul was used so mightily pouring it out is Paul spent so much time taking it in. People say they want to have more faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by... Word of God. So if you want more faith, spend more time in God's Word. If you don't spend time alone with the Lord and you're not growing, don't wonder why you already have your answer. He said, you know what, boys, you go sail. I'm going to walk. Why? I'm just going to walk. I need some time alone. I need some time to hang out with the Lord, verse 14 to 16. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilion. We sailed from there and the next day we were opposite Chios, and the following day we arrived in Samos and then stayed at Trigilium, and the next day we came to Miletus. So they originally had a plan to be in Jerusalem by Passover. That's not going to work out. And a sign of spiritual maturity is not to be tense or uptight when things don't go as expected, but to be flexible and trusting that God is going to do a work exactly in the way that he's leading you. Hey, I would say all the time, I won't do it here, but I would say it all the time in Santa Cruz, I will pastor this church until the day I die. I would say it all the time. I said, I'll be here to baptize your grandkids. I'm not going anywhere. The stake's in the ground. Uh, God said no. And we all need to learn that, okay, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me where you want. Blessed are the flexible. Let's check one, two, I think. Amen. <laughs> and we need to learn to be flexible. If God has something else for us, we put our lives in his hands and we trust him. Now, watch what happens in verse, seven, uh, verse uh, 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so we would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. Remember, Pentecost is 
40 days past Passover, right? It's, it's after Passover. So he had missed Passover. That wasn't going to happen. Now he wants to try to get there in time for Pentecost. Now look at verse 17. It says, For my leaders, he sent to Ephesus to call the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. So I, first of all, I love this. So he's, he's a great distance away, about 20 miles. He's headed to Jerusalem, but Ephesus is where he had originally left, and he called for the Ephesian elders. Okay, now in the Bible, let me make this really clear, I say it often, elder, pastor, bishop, all the same guy. We have denominations where the bishops oversee the pastors and the pastors oversee the elders. That's nowhere in the Bible, okay? A bishop describes what he does, he oversees people. An elder describes who he is, a spiritually mature man. And a pastor describes how he does it. He shepherds and feeds the flock. He's a servant. Amen? So he's calling for the pastors from Ephesus where he had planted a church. As he is passing by, it's a 20-mile or or so trek. And notice they all drop everything. They all had full-time jobs. They all drop everything, and they came that great distance to be able to spend some time with Paul and have him minister to them. One of the first important things in being in ministry is being available. Amen? Paul called. They all came. Well, you know, I I got stuff. I got things. I got stuff going on. And the reality is that they recognized, hey, this might be the last time they get to hear from the Apostle Paul. What you need to know is I believe this is the first ever pastor's conference. So all these pastors come. They're going to sit with their pastor and spend some time with him, and he's going to pour his heart into them. And and keep in mind that since this may be the last time he sees them, the words hold greater significance. I've been with people on their deathbed. You know, as a pastor, you get to enjoy the blessings of dedicating babies, but often you're also there when people are passing away. And I've seen people give their last words to their family, and they never say, I wish I had worked more or wish I had bought that car I never bought. But their words always carry heavier weight when it's the final words they're going to give out to the people they love. Can I get an amen? Well, that's what Paul's doing. So we need to pay special attention to what he says through the rest of the chapter. He says there, you know from the first day I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. First thing he lets them know is that his life is, he, he, he practices what he preaches, They have seen the way that he lives his life. He's not a hypocrite. He's a sinner saved by grace like the rest of us. But they have watched him for three years, and they know the kind of man that he is. He called them, they came, and he says, you know, one of the qualifications for a pastor is listed in 1 Timothy 3, and the word is blameless. And the word means without accusation from the outside. We've talked about this a lot. In 1 Timothy 3, there's 15 qualifications for a pastor. 14 speak of character, one speaks of gifting. And so we too often focus on gifting and not enough on character. And so part of that list of character is that he must be blameless. Now, it doesn't mean sinless. There'd be no pastors. Amen? <laughs> blameless literally means nothing to take hold of without accusation from the outside, which means if you came to your pastor's, neighbor, to your pastor's neighborhood and you walked through the neighborhood with them and said, hey, this is my pastor and these are people who live near him, they'd go, that sounds right. They wouldn't say, oh, you mean that drunkard? Oh, you mean that guy that screams and yells at his wife? 
Oh, that guy that ripped me off? No, there's no accusation. Again, he's a sinner saved by grace, but he's without accusation from the outside. He lives a life that in the world's eyes is blameless. From the day he got to Ephesus, Paul had given himself completely to the work of the Lord. And I think it's interesting that the first thing he says to them isn't, let me show you guys how to prepare a Bible study, which would have been great, amen? But he didn't do that. He didn't say, hey guys, uh, uh, here's how you plant a church. You know what he talked to him about? Character. You know who I've been since the day you met me. See, before you can plant a church, before you should be preparing sermons, you need to be a man of character. Can I get a man of that? And so that's the first thing he talks to them about. That's what he's speaking into the life. You know, there's a lot of churches. Let's, hey, gloves are off. You ready? Because this is stuff I'm going to share on Friday. There's a lot of churches that have pastors that are really charismatic and bring in crowds that have no, absolutely zero character, and they look the other way because he brings in a big crowd and people bring money. And they'll look the other way. Well, yeah, he cheated on his wife, but only six times. So, Yeah, he stole from the church. Yeah, he's, you know, he, he gambles. He, no, he's got a foul mouth. He's an angry guy. He's arrogant. He's self-righteous. Guys, you need to be the ones that hold the pastors in this church accountable. We're all sinners, okay? Ask our wives, amen? <laughs> We're all sinners. But at the same time, we should be people of godly character, amen? And, and that's our pledge to you, amen? So we see there, the first thing he talks to them about is godly character. And he has a heart to disciple others and a heart to lead by example. Then notice what it says in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. Serving the Lord. The motive for ministry was serving the Lord. How was Paul able to continue on in ministry even when people threw rocks at him? His motive for service was his love for the Lord, not a desire to be popular with people. If you are in ministry and you want to be popular with people, you will not last. If you're in ministry, people will attack you. Blessed are you when they're vile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so the prophets who went before you. When I get attacked by people, it's okay. I'm used to it. It's okay. Um, if you don't have thick skin, do something else. Can I get an amen? But the reality is, here's the apostle Paul, and he loves the Lord. And so when they throw rocks at him, and Lystra, and he dies, and he raises from the dead, he goes right back into Lystra and preaches Jesus because you can't threaten him with heaven. Amen? Because the reality is, if you're there to serve the Lord, that means your life is not yours. Your time is not yours. Your resources are not yours. Everything you have belongs to the Lord. And if it all belongs to the Lord, it's not about you, it's about him. Amen? And this is what, hey, they threw rocks at me, I'm, I'm indestructible. Let me go right back in. It even says in the Bible, I know a man was caught up into the third heaven. I think it happened when he was at Lystra. He got a, I can just imagine him got a little glimpse of heaven. That's pretty sweet. I can't wait to come back. They put it back. Dude, I know how to get back to heaven. Throw more rocks at me. I'm going right back in there. <laughs> Amen. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Amen. When we have an eternal perspective, we don't go, we don't, you know, COVID. Oh, what are we going to do? I caught more flack from Christians for being open during COVID. And if, you, and if you wanted to stay home, that's okay. And I don't blame you for that. But you know what? I'm called to stay open, and we're going to stay open. Amen. 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 We're going to preach the Bible. 
His motive for service, again, was the Lord, not a desire to be popular with men. We must never elevate pleasing people above faithfully serving the Lord. Amen? But notice his manner of ministry. His reason for ministry was serving the Lord, but with all humility. One of the most gifted men who ever lived, intellectually, theologically, as an orator, miracles followed him, yet he remained humble because he knew each of his abilities were gifts from God. Paul describes himself early in his ministry as the least of the apostles. And now after he walks with the Lord many years and is used mildly by God, he describes himself as the chief of sinners. See, the more he walked with the Lord, the more he realized what a failure he was apart from Christ, what a sinner he was, and how much he needed Jesus. Amen? See, the more spiritually mature we become, we don't become self-righteous. We, become, we recognize that we are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? And so it, he does it with all humility. A few things frost me more than arrogant pastors. Kills me. Pastor, Pastor Chuck used to barbecue the pastors, every senior pastor's conference, and I loved it. Touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. He goes, some of you guys had people carrying your bags in here. You're the chief servant. Knock it off. Yeah, yes, Lord. <laughs> Amen? If you served at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, you spent one day a, a week cleaning toilets. That's a good way to remind pastors that they're servants. Amen? Yeah. We got, we've already got janitors here. Or maybe we'd be cleaning some toilets here. But Paul served with humility. He endured much heartache and trials, stonings and beatings, but his love for the Lord and desire to serve him was his motive for ministry, and humility was the manner with which he ministered. He never thought of himself as too good to do anything. Notice it says there, with many tears. Any of you ever think of Paul crying? I I don't. Do you think of Paul crying? When I think of Paul, I think, bring it! Can I get an Amen. I think of Paul just like, you know, he's the Liam Neeson of apostles, amen? <laughs> he's just not afraid. Of, I'm coming, amen? And when I think of him, I think he's just going, for, you know, like, hey, throw rocks at me. I'm right back here. What are you going to do? I'm indestructible until God's through with me. But you know what? It says he had tears. And I believe the tears he had were not for his personal suffering. The tears he had was the heartbreaking truth that he had shared the gospel with so many and so many had rejected it. It broke his heart that he had such a love for people that when he would share with them and they would walk away, it hurt. It, it just broke his heart because he knew they would spend it. Now, again, he also had tears because he, he did go through some suffering. And, and you know what? If we're going to serve the Lord, we need to recognize that we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through difficulty. And again, he, he wept. Ministry often leads to heartache. Jesus wept. Amen. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He wept over the city of Jerusalem as he entered on Palm Sunday. Why? Because he recognized uh, the consequences that sin brings. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he wept because sin brought forth death. Now watch the message of the ministry. Here we come. Here it comes. Now this is, um, I'll tell you, one of my life's verses is coming. I've got two. First one's Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now you know, all know how all my password and all my computers. Knock yourself out. <laughs> for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, which means living is for the Lord and dying is better. Can I get an amen? It doesn't mean he's first on the list. He's first, he's 10th, he's 100th, he's every number in between. Jesus is the list, amen? And to die is better. It's coming. Now watch. The message of ministry, watch. I love this. His heart for the lost, it causes him to weep. He says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful and proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly 
and from house to house. Verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Who did Paul preach to? Anybody moving from house to house, big crowds. Remember they're arresting him. They're dragging him away. The Jews are, the soldiers are dragging him away. They bring him up to an edifice where he can look down. He sees the crowd that's all crying out for his death. And he goes, can we hang here for a second? And he starts preaching Jesus to them. When he's locked up in prison and locked up and chained up to soldiers, he's like captive audience. Amen. And he's just preaching Jesus to these guys. The apostle Paul had a heart to minister to people publicly and from house to house. No crowd was too big. No individual was too small. And he testified whether they were Jew or Greek. But here's what the message was. Seven steps to financial freedom. Is that what it says? Three ways to overcome your anger. Star Wars the series. Beaver doesn't live here anymore. You know, all these messages that I see lit up. No, what, it wasn't how to have your best life now. 40 days of purpose. Some of those are vitamins and they might be fine. But here's this. Here's the meat of the word. What does it say? He preached what? Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Peter preached repentance. We are going to preach repentance. Repent means to change your mind and to change direction. It means that I'm headed in the wrong way. I'm headed for destruction. I recognize I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And the Lord draws me and I turn. I change my mind. I surrender my life to him. And I don't just surrender it for a moment, but I make him the Lord and I follow him the rest of the days of my life. Can I get an amen to that? And it's repentance. Notice what it says there. I love what it says in that verse. It says repentance toward the Lord toward God. So it's not just repentance, not just turning away from the bad, but turning to the Lord. Does that make sense? Well, I turned away from my sinful behavior. Okay, that's great, but you need to turn to the Lord. Amen? So here's his heart. And he testifies to anyone and everyone who will listen. Paul's message was repent, surrender to Jesus. And again, he preached the word and nothing else. The motive was serving the Lord. The manner was in all humility, and the message was repentance and faith. Verse 22. Let's finish up. Here we go. I love this. I read this chapter at least uh, once a month and often many times more. And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Hey, we really could use you in this ministry. By the way, if you do it, you're going to spend some time in jail. Hey, we, God has a calling on your life. We'd love for you to go to the city. By the way, they're killing Christians over there right now, but we'd really love for you to go. And here's the reality that he knew ahead of time that if I obey God, tribulation awaits, and he did it anyway. He knew if I obey God, prison awaits, and he did it anyway. He knew ultimately if I continue to obey God, my death is coming, and he did it anyway. These are the kinds of people that God can use. Amen? Here's what I hear. Children's ministry, how, how often do I got to do that? I, I have to get here early? What time? Sunday's Molly day to sleep in. What time? What time do I have to come? How old are the kids? Do I have any help in there? 
They're all potty trained. What do we got going on here, right? Don't do it, please. Can I get an amen? amen. Paul's willing to go die for it. I have to get her 9.30? Oh, man, I don't think I can do that. If you're called, it's a get to, not a have to. Amen? amen? It's a joy. We need more people with a passion to serve Jesus with reckless abandon. Can I get an amen? amen. He was able to go on. Why didn't he just try to find a way to escape? Because his life was not his own. The Holy Spirit told me ahead of time, chains and tribulations await. Now here it is. Here's my other life first. You ready? But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. So I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If, you're, if you underline verses in your Bible, you better underline that one. He's saying, look, all these uh, people coming against me, those don't move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. My life doesn't mean anything for me. It's for the Lord. And I'm in this to finish my race with joy and to share the gospel of grace to as many people as I can. I love his heart that he knew that trials were coming and it didn't move him. A lot of times, I talk to a lot of pastors who go out and plant churches and the first year is really tough. They all want to quit. Turn to Acts 20, 24. None of these things move me. What I count. The next year, it's really, really tough. I want to tell you something. It's the base jumping of ministry. You're jumping off the cliff, Lord, catch me. But I'll tell you what, there's no better place to be than where you have to trust fully in the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? See, stepping out in faith, it's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Amen? He's so focused on the Lord that nothing this world had to dish out would sway him from his calling. Threats wouldn't move him. Temporal life meant nothing to him. His focus was finishing the race with joy and fulfilling the calling that God had placed upon his life. The Bible says to deny yourself, take up the cross. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. The Lord called, Paul responded. The Lord's calling you. Have you responded to the calling God has placed upon your life? Verse 25, we probably won't get to the end of the chapter, don't panic. We could stay till midnight, but <laughs> verse 25. And indeed, I now know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the gospel of God will see my face no more. Now, that's a heavy word. It's their pastor. He's a man that taught them the truth, a man that discipled them, a man that they had done ministry alongside, a man that they loved deeply. And he says, you're never going to see me again. And then he says this. So, so these next words should be important. Amen? I'm going. Here we go. Look what it says. Therefore, I testify to you today, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not failed to declare to you the what? Whole counsel of God. I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That means from Genesis to Revelation. Now, it's still part of it was being written at that time. He's writing books in the Bible. But all of the known scripture, he taught it all. Now, you know what that tells me? That as pastors, we are called to teach the whole counsel of God. Amen? We don't skip over chapters because they're difficult or because somebody might be offended. We don't, we don't skip over stuff that's too hard for us to understand. It's been said a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. If I don't get it, you never will. Can I get an amen? So we got to teach the whole council. There's chapters I read, I go, oh no. I got to get them to teach this in three days. But we teach the whole, you know why? Because nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian, Amen. 
You know what it says? That he could say, I'm innocent because I've not failed to clarity the whole counsel of God, which means pastors who don't declare the whole counsel of God, you could say, are guilty of the blood of all men. Amen? And I can think of no other way to teach the whole counsel of God than to start in the beginning and teach right through it to get to the end. Can I get an amen to that? If you're teaching topically and picking a verse from here and a verse from there, and there's some good topical messages, but if you pick a verse, a verse, a verse, and a verse, you're never going to get through that whole, the whole Bible. Amen? And you'll never teach it in context, no matter how hard you try. An expositional teaching, he wrote us a letter. Let's start it, dear Dave, and read till yours truly. Amen? We don't skip around and take verses out because then we'll never understand the whole counsel of God. This is a great exhortation for pastors today to teach the whole Bible. Amen? I turn on Christian radio. I'll be listening for 30 minutes. I have no idea what the text is. And I've read the Bible a little bit. I have no idea. The Bible's not been referred to once. Amen? And by the way, if you're teaching a verse for an hour, if I'm teaching a verse for an hour, too much Dave. We need more of God's word and less of my words. Can I get an amen to that? So we want to teach through the Bible. We want to teach the whole counsel of God. Don't apologize for it. Preach it with authority, but do it in love. Amen? That's what we're called to do. And Paul's letting him know, you're never going to see me again, but let me just leave you with this. Now, finally, I'm not going to go through it because we are out of time, but he said, therefore, take heed to yourselves, to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Think about that. Here's going to be an exhortation I have with the pastors on Friday and for myself is the people that God allows, his sheep that God allows you to feed and love on and protect and minister to, he bought with his own blood. So how do you determine the value of something? What somebody's willing to pay for it? How much did Jesus pay for you and for me? He died, amen? And so God's putting into the hands of those who are ministering to people, okay, here's the people I died for. Now they're mine, but I need you to feed, make sure they're fed. I need to make sure when wolves come in, you get them out of there before they get hurt. Boy, that's a heavy calling. Can I get an amen to that? But you know what? That's what God's called pastors to do, and I will be exhorting them as such when I get there. Let me just read the rest of the chapter, and we'll close. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flocks. So there are always people coming into the flock, preaching a false gospel. It's a pastor's job to remove them. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember, for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. So now, I, now brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. Paul could care less about money. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. He worked as a tent maker. He wasn't reliant upon anybody. And for those who were with me, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And finally, he says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. What a great chapter, amen? What an exhortation. And I want to encourage you. This is the plumb line 
for how pastors should be. Amen? But it's also got a lot of applications for every one of our lives in a room. Can I say amen to that? But when you look at this, it's fair. Hold, hold your pastors accountable to this. If you move away and you're looking for a church, look for pastors who are doing this. If you feel like any one of us is not doing this, hold us accountable. Can I get an amen to that? Amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God of love and grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I thank you for every precious person here, your sheep. You're our good shepherd. Your sheep know your voice, and they hear you, and they follow you. And Lord, I pray that those of us here who are servant leaders, that we would serve them faithfully. I pray for those here that are called, that you would stir up the gifts you've given them, that they might be used for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray that when wolves come in among us, we would recognize them and root them out. But we would also encourage those who have gifts to step out in faith and be used for your kingdom and for your glory. And Lord, help us to teach the whole counsel of God, not to shy away from it, not to apologize for it, but to preach the truth and do it in love. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said...